Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks presented by Castrol Edge. DJ here. And today, uh, Buck's going to... He's going to do a little side work for us, which we're going to have coming your way on a further episode where Bucky's been grinding out some interviews that uh, you're going to want to listen to. But today, this is our annual conference call that I do with the media where we uh, jam as many media folks as we can on uh, one conference call, and I get peppered with draft question, uh, questions for a little bit. So uh, that's what today's episode is going to be, just going to rattle through those. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it, get something out of it, and uh, Buck, you'll be back with me on the next episode. So here's the uh, the media conference call on the 2021 NFL Draft. Thank you guys for for jumping on here today. Um, it's uh, it, it's been a, a wild year in terms of the draft preparation as it is in every other area. So uh, very unique this year with with watching tape of some guys from 2019. Some players, you got to go back to 2018. They might have been injured in 2019 and, and opted out of 2020. Um, 
so it's uh, it's been a challenge trying to get some of the information from the schools as well with the scouts not being on the road as much, uh, really just kind of going to games. So it's it's definitely been a, a, a different experience this year. Uh, but I do think we have a really good uh, crop of players for this draft class. I'm excited about it. We've got a bunch of quarterbacks, which makes it fun. Uh, another great year of, uh, of a deep wide receiver talent pool. Um, I like where we are with the with the offensive line uh, position as well with a lot of depth. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in free agency. The expectation is we're going to see a lot more names pop up here over this week um, as teams try and get under the, uh, the yet to be determined salary cap. So um, I, I can't remember a time this late in the process where there was less known, but it's going to make it uh, a really fun spring here as we march towards the draft. So again, thank you guys for joining us and, um, and uh, fire away. Our first question comes from Dave Briquette with the Detroit Free Press. Hey, DJ, appreciate you uh, you doing this. Um, first, what is the white helmet behind you? Oh, that's App State. That's, a, uh, that's okay. their, the, the All-Americana Appalachian State helmet right there. All right. Love it. Um, all right. So I got two things for you. First yeah. news today, Kenny Galladay, the Lions are going to let him test for agency. So firmly would put wide receiver at number seven in the mix for them. Um, if you were the Lions, what receiver would you hope to land there, be targeting there? Why? And then, you know, if you could just give me a word on, on Micah Parsons when you're done too, and just what you think he'll be in, in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's four good options when you when you throw Parsons in there with the wide receiver group. Um, to me, it would be Jamar Chase just because of everything he can do. I think a lot of times when you're watching receivers, um, you see guys with, uh, you know, guys that can win with separation and quickness, and you see guys that can win with physicality, you know, and kind of contested catches. And when you watch him at LSU in 2019, you see examples of both, where he can separate from people off the line of scrimmage. He can separate at the top of his route. Uh, he plays big uh, to go up and get the football. And then after the catch, he, he gives you that, that strength and physicality break tackle. So, um, he's to me the best receiver in the draft. Um, I, I can't imagine he would be there, but man, that would be a home run pick for the Lions if he was. And then I, I wouldn't have any issues with the other two either from Alabama. And I think it's kind of a flavor thing with Waddle and Devontae Smith. Uh, Waddle gives you a little bit more juice, but Devontae Smith plays plenty fast as well. Um, Devontae Smith is a pristine route runner. Uh, he's obviously, everybody knows, is real thin, but man, he's really long armed. He can go up and get it as well. I just thought, you know, what you get after the catch with some of the uh, the shiftiness and then just the home run speed from Waddle is why I ended up with Waddle over Smith. And, um, you know, GPS stuff's going to be big this year because, you know, we haven't had as much uh, verified numbers. And talking to some teams around the league, um, Waddle had, the, had the, the fastest GPS of any receiver in the country. So it's not just – your eyes aren't deceiving you when you watch him. He's, he's freaky fast. So um, – all the all three of those guys would be good options for Detroit. I don't think they can make a wrong uh, a wrong pick there. And then with Parsons, um, you know, ability to do everything. You know, off the ball, you can you can also rush him a little bit. As as impressive as his range and uh, and instincts are, you know, against the run, to me, it's it's what he does in coverage. You see him cover tight ends uh, up there at Penn State. You see him cover backs. Um, I would love to have seen him this year, but, uh, you know, I get it. He, he put so much good stuff on tape in 19 that uh, he made the decision that he did. So um, he, he would fit in with that versatility that everybody's looking for. But more than anything else, I think with linebackers right now, I'm sure we'll get into it with more of these guys. But I, I'm looking at guys that can really run and cover, and, and he can do it. Just a real quick follow. Are you surprised the Lions are not tagging Galladay? And does the strength of the receiver class up top, you think that plays into it? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you when you look at how deep this group is and there's some good free agents out there as well. So I'm curious, you know, sometimes it's not just in a vacuum. We'll see what they do with that money they could have allocated there. And if they're aggressive in other areas uh, where they can get better. So uh, they'll have, you know, all the way into the fourth and fifth round. There's going to be good wide receivers again. Next question comes from Dave Zingar with NBC Sports Philadelphia. Thanks, Daniel, for doing this. Appreciate it. Sure. Uh, Kyle Pitts, what, what makes him such a special player? And I know you uh, had him going to the Eagles in the last mock draft. Why would that make sense for them? Well, I, I think you can make a strong case he's the best player in the draft. I mean, I, I have him as the third best player right now. When I update it, and I've seen a lot more, you know, going through all these defensive players, and I, I just watched all these corners, and I'm watching – these corners with first, second, third round draft grades in the SEC, and they have they can't cover the guy. So you split him out, and I think if he was just in this draft as an X receiver, he's a top ten or fifteen pick. If you've never even watched him put his hand in the ground, um, there, there's there's at that size to be able to get in and out like he does is is pretty rare um, to turn guys inside out. If you you watch Kelsey, and you'll see Kelsey run those pivot routes where he's so efficient and doesn't waste any steps. You see the same thing with Pitts. And then he has a bigger catch radius to go up over the top of people and make plays. So um, to me, it's a matchup. It's a matchup that's going to be in your favor every time you line up. The defense can't be right against him no matter what you do. You know, you put big guys out there, he's going to run away from them. Um, you put small guys out there, he's just going to pluck the ball off their head. So um, that to me is what makes him special. And um now, I was talking to somebody in the league the other day about this. I thought it was a really fascinating point. When if you're if you're the Eagles, for example, and you're looking at uh, one of the top receivers uh, versus Kyle Pitts, and I know obviously Goddard's one of the best tight ends in the NFL, but I, I to me I would love to break the huddle with those two guys and force teams to try and figure out how to match up with them. Uh, but the point that was made to me by by someone in the league, he said, you know, the interesting thing is when you look at receivers and tight ends, look at the franchise number and look at the difference in money. I think there's a difference of like six million bucks. So not only do you have a rare mismatch player that's hard to find, once you get to the second contract, he's going to be extremely affordable compared to if you're going to take a receiver with that same pick. So you're getting the same level of impact without having to pay that same level of cost. Um, to me, I think that could be something that could be a tiebreaker when you're making that decision. Our next question comes from Paul Domowicz with the Philadelphia Daily News. Hey, DJ. I uh, wanted to ask you about three quarterbacks, uh, two in this draft, one from last year's draft. Yep. Uh, Fields, uh, Trey Lance, and, and Jalen Hurts. Of those three, who right now do you feel has the highest NFL ceiling? Ooh, that's a that's a good one. I would say the highest ceiling would be Justin Fields, um, just because I, he's his his speed and athleticism. I mean, Trey Lance is a great runner, and I think Trey Lance is Trey Lance is probably going to run um, in the high four fives, which is incredible. And Jalen Hurts is a really good runner. But Justin Fields can be a home run hitter uh, as a runner. It's just his speed makes him a little different there. And you look at all three of those guys have strong arms. Um, I think that Fields, you know, has the ability to do as much as the other guys in terms of throwing the football. So that to me would be kind of the tiebreaker in terms of where he can ultimately get. Uh, but I think it's close between him and Trey Lance in that discussion. Trey Lance, um, you know, he's he reminds me of Steve McNair. Uh, I was around McNair late in his career with the Ravens and just the physicality that he plays with, um, the toughness. Now he's got, you know, he's got a little room to grow in terms of, of just pure accuracy. Um, but 
man, I think I think those two guys are really, really interesting. Jalen Hurts I had as my 50th player, and I thought he had a chance to be a quality starting quarterback in the NFL level. Uh, but these two kids, to me, have a, a much higher ceiling. So uh, that would be, you know, if you're looking at ceiling, that would be probably the order that I would go. Um, I think Trey Lance and Justin Fields is, is kind of a toss-up. Next question comes from Dan Wiederer with Chicago Tribune. Hey, DJ, we'll stay on the uh, quarterback topic for one second. And, and I know you yeah. said that you uh, struggled getting through Mac Jones's tape to, to make full sense of it. What is it about his limitations in today's game that is uh, giving you pause or, or tripping you up at times? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he look, and I go back and look at the things that I value at the position and most people value when you look at accuracy, decision-making, and poise. He's, he's outstanding off the charts in those three areas. Um, but he just doesn't have a lot of twitch and you don't see a lot of twitch with him, you know, being dynamic to be able to create or escape. Um, and then you don't see a lot of twitch or power on the football. He's got, he's got good enough arm strength, but he doesn't have a big power arm. Um, and when you look around the league and you go, okay, well, we just had a pocket passer win the Super Bowl. So, you know, this guy's a pocket passer. What's so complicated? Well, the pocket passers that are successful in the NFL right now are the older veterans who have 15, 20 plus years of experience and knowledge to be able to have the answers uh, to the test. And when you're a young quarterback trying to find your footing, um, trying to gain that knowledge, it sure is nice to be able to use your athleticism in the meantime, as you're trying to gain that experience and gain that knowledge. I just, um, you know, when things aren't going to be perfect in front of him, I think he's going to have a little bit of a hard time. I, I was talking uh, on the phone with Orlovsky the other day about this, and we we both said, look, we're going to know draft night how that's going to work out because we're going to know where he goes and what's around him. We're going to be able to determine pretty quickly how successful he can be. Um, and if he has the right pieces, that's why, I, to me, New Orleans, if he could somehow get to the bottom of the first round and end up in a place like New Orleans, uh, I think he's got a great chance to be successful in a scheme that fits, good offensive line, and, and the pieces around him. But I worry a little bit going to a team picking in the top half of the first round with a lot of roster holes. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to create and get away from some of the pressure he's going to be under. Thank you. Our next question comes from Howard Eskin with 94 WIP in Philly. Uh, Daniel, uh, I'm going to give you a few players. If you were the Eagles, you're on the clock at six. Uh, and you've mentioned all the players. Uh, Pitts, uh, Waddle. Uh, Jamar Chase, uh, and maybe I think Smith would probably be, for whatever reason, not in that mix. And any offensive or defensive lineman, who would you take at that position? I, I would take Pitts. Um, I would. I, I think it's a no. I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's a. We've talked about how high the ceiling is with him. I mean, I think he can emerge as. Uh, the best tight end in the National Football League. He's that 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 type of dynamic ability. And I think when you have Jalen Hurts and you want to see what he can do, and now you've got Kyle Pitts and you've got Goddard, you've got two guys that can really uncover, um, and you're going to have favorable matchups right in the middle of the field if you want them. Uh, those can be some easy completions. So uh, to me, that one would make the most sense for them, and I think it would make their offense – uh, the most dangerous. I have Jamar Chase and and I have the same grade with Pitts. But to me, if you wanted to find a receiver, another receiver to you know kind of come along, some of these other young guys you're hoping are going to develop, um, I think you've got better options for some of those receivers later rounds than you would at the tight end position. This this Kyle Pitts is a rare dude, man. I, I would take him, Howard. If Pitts isn't there, who is your pick? Uh, I would take Jamar Chase. Um, okay. 
And I know, look, I, I get it. They went to in the receiver position last year, but this guy's on a whole different level. I mean, this is a, this is a big time, pure number one wide out. So um, I, I think they need to get some firepower and, and evaluate the quarterback. That would help you do that. Next question comes from Tom Krasovic with the San Diego Union Tribune. Daniel, I'm, I'm looking at what Tristan Wirfs did, uh, including in the Super Bowl tournament, uh, just playing so well. Is there someone like that that you think could go this year that is able to be a very helpful player to a team as a rookie? On the offensive line, Tom, or just any position? Anywhere, a difference maker. Rookies aren't supposed to be able to do that, I think. Yeah, but he did. Yeah. But he did. Yeah, he was a man. He was a, he was a very dynamic player and somebody who like he, his only issue coming out of Iowa was he would overset a little bit and he would get beat inside. And I don't think I saw him get beat inside once this whole year. So somebody that had all that athletic ability, all that power and strength and just had a little bit of a technique thing he needed to clean up and he did. Um, so, yeah, there, there you go. And he's off and running it. If, if you're asking me for somebody that it's going to go outside the top 10 that I think could have a, you know, rookie of the year type impact. I'll, I'll go to, uh, I'll go to Kentucky and, and I'll go to the linebacker because uh, Jamin Davis, who was listed at 6'4", 234 pounds. Again, I, I keep telling you guys what these guys are listed at because we have no verified numbers on any of them. Uh, but he, he looks so much like Darius Leonard when you study him. Um, and you saw the impact that Darius Leonard had as a rookie coming in the second round. I think this kid's going to find his way in the first round once he gets to the pro day and people get a chance to really put their eyes on him. But he's just got some wow plays with his range, um, with his ability, again, in pass coverage. You watch a Tennessee game. I mean, that kid's got a 85-yard pick six in that game. Um, he covers tight ends all over the field. He's quick to trigger. He's got really good eyes. So he's somebody that – I mean, I – I didn't honestly know who he was during the fall. Nobody had said anything to me about him. And then you're just kind of going through and watching all the tape. And this guy just jumps off the screen. Um, I did find out from a couple of buddies in the league. Yeah, they were, they weren't trying to get that one out of out, but that uh, uh, you can't hide how athletic that kid is. So he'd be somebody I think has got like legitimate rookie of the year type ability that you don't hear talked about in the top half of the first round. Daniel, is there a team that, or I mean, it sounds like he'd be good for a lot of teams, but do, yeah. you, do you see any team sort of honing in on him? Well, I mean, I think you look down at the at the back end of the first round, you've got some teams that, that have some linebacker needs. Uh, we just talked about Cleveland. Man, he'd be great there. Um, he would be uh, he would be dynamic in uh, in Tampa Bay if they ended up losing Levante David in free agency. I mean, they just you just plug him right in and, and off you go. So, uh, but again, linebackers that can run cover um, they fit everybody. Next question comes from Arnie Stapleton with the Associated Press. Hey DJ, I got a couple of quick ones for you. Um, first off, just touching on a couple of things you said earlier. Um, I'm wondering with the opt outs. And, uh, you know, the traditional combine getting scrapped and, and the, the data is just coming in, uh, trickling in on these guys from pro days. Do you think that it's going to be a, a draft of mystery? Like, I know the spring is going to be mysterious, but will the draft itself, you think, be kind of throwing us some curves? I, I think so. I think there's – and we saw a little bit of this last year where it was difficult to predict because um, – Look, groupthink is is uh, is a real thing, and when you get scouts that pal around together, we all would go to the same schools and you'd be at the same places watching the same players. 
they end, everybody ends up talking and you end up kind of getting some consensus on some players. And that also takes place when coaches and personnel guys get together at the combine and they get together at the all-star games. And we, you know, we had the senior bowl, but there was no East West game. There's no combine. So there's just been less gathering. Um, and so I think it, in some ways it's, it's better because you get individual evaluations, but just talking to buddies around the league about specific players where, I mean, the orders are so wildly different. Um, and, uh, and that's, that to me, that's what makes it fun. And I think, um, a lot of teams that I've talked to have really tried to shrink their draft board more so than years past, you know, New England was famous for that where they, you know, most teams would have 150 players on their draft board. New England would have 80, you know, 75, 80 guys. Cause like, these are the guys that fit us and we, you know, maybe we pick, pick them a little early, but, but we know them and, and, and we're comfortable with those guys. More teams, I think this year, um, are, are doing that. And there's, uh, there's going to be some teams that are aggressive and gamble on guys. They don't have as much information on and uh, swing for the fences. Uh, but those, those are the teams that are very secure in their jobs. I think if you're in a situation where you've got to, you got to nail this thing, I think teams are going to be aiming for doubles, not home runs. And secondly, I know you mentioned, you know, another deep wide receiver group, another deep offensive line group. I'm wondering about your evaluation uh, on defense of this year's class, um, particularly the guys that would kind of counter the modern mobile quarterbacks and the modern offenses, the three down linebackers, uh, yeah. nickelbacks, maybe the defensive tackle who can pressure the passer. Where does this year's stack up, do you think? Yeah, it's well, start with the negative. It's it's probably one of the worst defensive tackle groups that, that we've had in the last decade. It's just it's just not very good there. I think there's a good chance we don't see a defensive tackle go in the first round. I would say, you know, just talking to people around the league and the Christian Barmore is probably the one who's got a chance. Um, I like Levi on from, uh, from Washington, but I think when it's all said and done, he probably goes in the second round. Um, so it's not a great year for defensive tackles, but you talk about being able to deal with all this speed. I love the linebacker group um, off the ball linebackers. I think there's some guys that can really, really play with the way the game is right now. And, we talked about Parsons. Um, you've got uh, Owusu Koromoa from Notre Dame, who's going to be fascinating player who, you know, played like 210, 215 pounds, but just runs all over the place, makes all kinds of plays. You can deploy him in a lot of different ways, almost function as a, as a strong safety. You can use him as a nickel linebacker. Um, you've got Zaven Collins from Tulsa who, you know, one buddy that I talked to in the league when I first watched him, he's like, what do you think? I said, man, I really like him. He's, it's hard to find big guys like that. He reminds me a little bit of, of Vander Esch uh, coming out of Boise State. And he, this is an older scout. And he said, man, I, I saw some similarities to Brian Urlacher when he was coming out of New Mexico. So talking about somebody that's 6'4", 260 pounds, that can really run and cover. Um, if you want to have fun, go watch his uh, – 96 yard walk off pick six in overtime against Tulane. I mean, you see how athletic that kid is. But Nick Bolton from Missouri. We've talked about Davis from Kentucky, Jabril Cox from LSU, Pete Warner and, and Baron Browning from Ohio State, Chaz Surratt from, from North Carolina. All those guys are modern day linebackers to deal with these tight ends and, and, and athletic backs out of the backfield. So that to me is a, it's a really, really good group off the ball, guys. Thanks, DJ. I always appreciate your uh, terrific insight. Thank you. Next question comes from Karen Gurrigan with the Boston Herald. In New England, obviously the big question mark has to do with quarterback. Everything mm -hmm. starts there. I was just wondering from your perspective, um, who do you see as the best quarterback fit 
for the Patriots in this draft? It's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, the, the hard thing about the Patriots is you've just gone from watching a Patriots team play 20 years with one style of quarterback and you watch them go in a totally different direction uh, with Cam coming in there. So I, I don't know what direction that, that coach Belichick wants to go, you know, does he, does he want to try and uh, do a little bit more of a new school, really mobile athletic quarterback where he can do some, some quarterback run stuff. And then hopefully you get somebody that's just, you know, a, a little bit healthier than where Cam was with, with his arm and, and being a little bit more consistent as a passer. I, I could see Bill Belichick having an affinity and a lot of fun with a guy like Trey Lance, um, you know, and Trey's going to need some time. The only thing that would be, you know, would, would hold me back on that is, I don't know if he's going to be ready to do that right away. You have to be patient with him. But when you talk to the folks at North Dakota State, this kid is incredibly intelligent, which we know the Patriots have always placed a premium on. Um, he can he can direct fronts. He can do all the stuff at the line of scrimmage you need to do. Um, he's a fantastic athlete and runner. He's got a power arm that fits, you know, in the weather in that division later in the year. He can play through that. I mean, gosh, this guy's been up in the Dakotas, so uh, grew up in Minnesota. So this uh, the weather thing would be he'd be very comfortable there. And I just think uh, you know all the character stuff I've gotten has has been off the charts. So all those things line up with what Belichick has traditionally you know wanted on the team it's just um you know i think we're all guessing a little bit on what direction he wants to take the offense how far up a move would they have to make to 15 or will he be at 15 in your view I, you know what i think we'll know more as we kind of um see the dust settle on some of these veterans and some of the movement that could take place there um but I, you know, to me, I've kind of looked at Trey Lance and I've looked at eight to the Carolina Panthers as a really good fit for him. But, you know, if we see, you know, we'll see what the Jets do. Uh, but if for some reason, you know, the Jets decide to stick with Sam Darnold, that takes a quarterback out of their spot. You know, I saw I saw the reports from Mort the other day about the, the Eagles being out of the quarterback business. So, um, you know, maybe they wouldn't have to go all the way up that high if some of these quarterbacks start to drop. We'll see what Atlanta does at four if they stick with Matt Ryan. Um, then we could start to see these guys drop. I, you know, I think we're all assuming that all four of these quarterbacks are going to go in the top 10 and maybe even five, you know, with Mac Jones having some love around the league, but it just takes one or two of these teams to find other options. And, uh, and then the, the Patriots wouldn't have to go up quite as far. Next question comes from Mark Wicker. Yeah, I was interested in Vera Tucker from USC and wanted to know how he has progressed in your mind as, as his evaluation process has gone. And, What's the advisability generally of taking a guard in the first round? Well, I don't think the Indianapolis has any regrets. Obviously, uh, Quentin Nelson's, you know, a, a special player. But I, I think there's a lot of value. Um, I think when you look at the way um, the ball is coming out and the way the game's played right now, being firm up the middle, we've always talked about it with the Saints, with Drew Brees over all those years, you know, the value of having a firm pocket. And and to me, that that is a big deal. And Vera Tucker, I think – I think he's one of the cleaner players in the whole draft. You know, he, he played left tackle and played it darn well this year. I think if you wanted to, he could, he could hold up fine out there. Um, but I think he's got a chance to be a perennial all pro as a guard. Um, he plays with, you know, instincts and awareness. He's strong to anchor down. Um, he always is under control. He really did a good job working up to the second level this year. Um, he can bend everything you hear about him as he's highly intelligent, great character. He's my 15th player in the draft, and, and when I do my update, he might even move up a little bit. 
I, I just think to me, if you're asking who are, you know, safe picks that are just going to be day one starters and, and fill a role for the next decade, I think this kid's got that type of ability and in, in, uh, in makeup. So uh, I, I absolutely think he's worth a pick in the top 15. And I think teams around the NFL really value this kid. Next question comes from Jennifer Lee Chan. Hey, DJ. Last year, there are a lot of left tackles that were kind of plug and play guys who played at a very high level. Compared to this year's class, where are they and who's the top guy? Yeah, that's a great question. I, to me, when I look at last year's group, I think it's, it's better than this year's group. Um, there might be some difference of opinion there, but you know, I, I had uh, Makai, Makai Becton last year. I had a, a huge grade on him. You look at Jedrick Wills, um, and then you look at Worfs. Um, and then I had uh, the Georgia kid was my fourth one, but um, who went to the Giants. So to me, when I stack up this class, I, I actually have Rashawn Slater as the top tackle in the draft. And he, now I just mentioned a little bit earlier, his arms came in at 33 inches today, which is, it's not great, but it's, it, to me, it's good enough that he can hold up a tackle. Um, and he's just such a clean, clean player on tape. You know, you go back and watch him at Northwestern against Chase Young in 2019 and he, he more than held his own. His ability to recover and rework his hands in that game was really good. He can bend. Um, he's he's one of the better guys. And even comparing him to the group last year, if you look at just the ability to climb up to the second level in the run game and what he can do with his athleticism, I'd say he does that better than even the tackles in last year's draft. Um, but he would be my top one this year. Uh, Panay Sewell is right there behind him. They're very close. You know, Sewell is just – he's a massive dude who's really – it's interesting because he's very explosive when you watch him in Oregon in, uh, in 2019. He's explosive, but he still needs to add some strength. Um, so, in other words, you see him just, just drive off the ball. You'll see, man, he's quick. Um, he's dynamic with, with how quick he can get out of his stance. He covers up speed rushers, no problem. Um, but in pass protection, sometimes you'll see guys kind of tug and pull him and and move him around a little bit, which just needs to get a little bit stronger. But I mean, he was playing as, you know, he's a young kid um, at, at that point in time. So um, he's got a lot of upside. But if I was going to look at it from last year, I would take Becton, Wills and Wirfs um, over, you know, the top two guys in this year's draft class. But I think all five of those guys are are really good players. And uh, last year I had Worfs as the number three guy and he ended up playing better than everybody else. So um, that speaks to, uh, to just how good that group was last year. Next question comes from Olivia Landis with the Jets. Hi, Daniel. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I know you've talked a little bit about the draft already, but specifically pertaining to the New York Jets, um, this is a kind of a two-part question here. What stands out to you about the options that the Jets have at the top of the draft? And um, more specifically, uh, what areas can Joe Douglas attack in this draft with five picks in those first three rounds? Yeah, I mean, they are, uh, Olivia, it's going to be fun. I know Joe's going to have a lot of fun with this draft because, I mean, he's got, he has got an arsenal of way of weapons to use here to try and get this roster in better shape. And, um, you know, it starts with the number two pick and, and starts with the evaluation of Sam Darnold and what they want to do at that at, at that spot. Um, you know, I, I went through and just kind of broke this down the other day because I wanted to see, you know, what it looked like. And, and so if you're the Jets with that pick, which is going to be the biggest decision that, that Joe Douglas will make as a general manager for that team is you've got the stay with Sam and you've got the you've got the draft, the quarterback plan. So the stay with Sam, if you want to look at it financially. 
Sam's, I think, 4.8 this year, which uh, well, let's just round that up to 5 million. You've got 20 million would be the fifth year option. You've got 30 million uh, would be if you franchised him the following year. So the Jets who have Sam under control there for those three years at 18.3 per year, which is a pretty reasonable number. You know, you take into context the number we just saw yesterday. Um, but if, if they decided to trade Sam, uh, you go and draft somebody, which I would, would say would be Zach Wilson. You're looking at four years of control before you get to that fifth-year option at 8.7 million per year. So you're going to save 10 million per year on average. You're going to get an extra year of control. Um, so that's the financial difference. Then with Sam, obviously you still you get the number two pick, which you could pick or or trade off and, and get more picks. Um, but if you decide to go with the Wilson route, you're going to get that savings in money, and you're going to get whatever you get for Sam Darnold um, as well, which I think could be. Uh, pretty interesting. When you look at the teams picking eight, nine, and 12, uh, when you look at Carolina, you look at Denver, you look at San Francisco, I think all three of those teams could make sense as, as trade partners for Sam Darnold if they decided to go that route. Um, and I know people say, well, there's no way they're trading, you know, top 12 pick for Sam. No, but I think there's a way you could work something out there where you attach Sam with another pick. Um, you know, I, I, to me, I'd be try and figure out a way where you could do Sam and pick 34 and see if that would, uh, would do it to get all the way back up there in the top eight, nine or 12 position. And now you're the jets, you're, you're dancing up there uh, with, with those picks. So those are the two options they can make there in terms of the other areas of the roster that they can address. Olivia, I, I, I look at edge rush. I look at corner. Um, and I think just, you know, haven't been around Joe, um, and you saw it last year with Mackay Becton. He's always going to place a premium on the offensive line. So I think you continue to invest uh, along that offensive line to help out whoever's quarterback, whether it's Sam or whether you draft a guy. Next question comes from Les Bowen. You were talking about the differences in this draft uh, with all the, all the things that we don't know. It, it, looking at all that stuff, you know, the lack of medicals, the lack of measurements that you can trust the some guys didn't play uh you know uh, you, you weren't aware able to, to nose around on campuses and find out stuff about players the way you normally would what's the biggest thing in talking to, to scouts and and personnel people this year what's the biggest obstacle to being able to evaluate as well as you would normally oh that's a i mean I, to me um I think the missed opportunities at practice uh, from just a purely scouting standpoint, because there's so many things you can pick up at practice, you know, not only, you know, what they're doing and just the practice, but we want to see how guys work, um, how they interact. You know, I, I always go back to Andy Reed and his emphasis. He always placed on, on guys with energy. Um, and it's one thing to have a coach tell you that a guy, you know, a guy's passionate. He likes football. You write that in your notebook. It's another thing to go out there at practice and see a guy bouncing around and leading every drill and, and kind of getting his teammates going. Those are the pieces of information that we just didn't get a chance to get this year. So that to me is, is, is really a big challenge. And then I know, uh, you know, from a general manager level, there's, you know, they're always going to have issues when they don't have all the medical information that they would like. Um, so, you know, the way I understand it on the medical stuff, sounds like 150 players are going to go to Indy uh, for physicals sometime in April. Uh, the rest of these guys are going to be doing physicals, you know, locally and then, you know, kind of like teledoc type stuff. 
So mm-hmm. that's different than getting your, your own doctors all looking at, at all these guys. And then if you have any issues or any questions, or maybe it's a non-combine guy, you can fly that guy in for one of your visits and, and get your uh, another look at him. So there's always going to be some GMs that are just going to be a little bit restless and a little uncomfortable on the medical front. Next question comes from Andrew Mason. Hey, Daniel, thanks for, for doing this. Um, in terms of the cornerbacks, you talk about how you want to get them in the first couple of rounds. Within those guys in the first two rounds, is there a kind of a point of separation, say, between Farley and Sertan and then that next tier, starting with J.C. Horn? Are they pretty balanced in terms of where they stand going through the first two rounds? You know, I, I think as we get closer to the draft and based off you know what I heard today from Northwestern and, and what uh, uh, what you saw, the, the time there that was posted by um, – uh, gosh, why is his name going to escape me right now? Uh, Newsom by Greg Newsom from Northwestern. I think we're going to see four guys kind of separate from the pack. So you're going to have Farley. You're going to have Sertain. Those are going to be the top two. I think there's a little bit of a gap between those guys. And then you get to J.C. Horn. And I think Greg Newsom's kind of quickly closing that space uh, with J.C. Horn to the fact where I wouldn't be shocked if Newsom ended up you know, going ahead of him. So I think it's those four guys. And to me, there's a little bit of a drop-off. We have some more questions on the guys after that big four. Next question comes from Joe Rudder. Yeah, hi, Daniel. With the Steelers at 24 looking at running back, do you think there's any way Harris drops to them there? And if not, what offensive lineman are you looking possibly for them at 24? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't just be limited to Harris. I, I I'm getting ready to update my list. The next time I update it, I'm probably going to have Javante Williams from North Carolina over Harris. And he is, he is a really good player to me. He'd be a great fit with Pittsburgh. I wouldn't have any problems. I know uh, people kind of look at the running back thing one way or the other. Um, When you're picking down there in in the bottom of the first round, you've got a chance to get an impact player like like, uh, Javante Williams from North Carolina. Um, To me, I think that'd be a heck of a pick. He's just like Nick Chubb. And when you, when you watch him, you see it. When you talk to the coaches at North Carolina that have been, you know, they have some coaches there that have come from Georgia and they say that the, the similarities are eerie, just they're all business, physical, uh, great leaders, can catch the ball out of the backfield, can do a lot of different things. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't just limit it to, to him. So uh, there's some good options there at the running back position. Then you were talking about tackles or what were you looking at for the other position? Yeah, tackle. I mean, pot, you know, center tackle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, interior offensive line wise, it's not a great it's not a great group in terms of the high end guys. If you wanted to um, take a little bit of a risk, Landon Dickerson from Alabama, if he didn't tear his ACL towards the end of the year um, and didn't have some other injury issues during his time at Florida State, I think you'd be. I mean, he almost just perfect stealer. I mean, he's he is physical and nasty. Um, he's fun to watch. Just he's quick. He's a taller guy, six six, three hundred twenty six. Uh, pounds, but we've seen the Steelers uh, coming off a pretty good run here with a tall center. So uh, he'd be a, he'd be a great fit, provided he could you know, be okay with the medical stuff. Next question comes from Kelsey Conway with the Falcons. This question's about the Falcons. If they happen to trade back um, and give up that number four spot for someone who wants a cornerback, um, who would be some of the players, given Terry Fontenot coming down and saying that uh, they're going to do best player available um, in his first draft, likely? And uh, just one other question, can Slater or um, Penae Sewell side inside and play guard? 
Um, yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Slater from Northwestern can slide inside and play guard. I think he's got five position flexibility. Some teams even like him as a center. Um, Panay Sewell. I mean, I think you're just going to, you're going to park him at tackle. Um, I think you'd probably be, uh, probably wasting him to slide him inside. He's, he's better suited to, to slide out there or stay out there at left tackle. Um, in terms of trading back, uh, yeah, I mean, I would think they'll have our opportunities to trade back if teams want to come up for quarterbacks. And then you start looking at, you know, best available player. Um, the interesting thing is you've got all these wide receivers that are so highly rated, but that doesn't really make sense right now for where, uh, for where Atlanta is. You know, I'd, I'd probably keep an eye on somebody like My Micah Parsons to just be an impact defensive player. Um, or you could get one of those two corners we've we've talked about who would be uh, big time talented guys to add uh, to a young secondary who's got some good pieces. So uh, those would probably be the the areas that I would look um, if they were to slide back a little bit. But I mean, when you look at the way the board shakes out, if you wanted to try and find an edge rusher, which is a need, you could make a strong case they could trade back twice. Um, you know, trade back once for the teams coming up for the quarterbacks and you might have somebody coming up for an offensive lineman. Uh, you could probably trade back and get into the teens and then you could find your way to, you know, Quiddy pay from Michigan, Jalen Phillips from Miami. Uh, you know, one of those types of players, uh, maybe even stay right there, uh, get the edge rusher Ojolari from Georgia. Uh, so to me that there might be a double trade down opportunity for them. Next question comes from Ryan Dunleavy with the New York post. With the guys who set out this season, uh, is Greg Rousseau the biggest guy who hurt himself by doing it? And who are some other guys who might have either their stock went up or down by not playing this year? Well, I mean, I, I don't I don't know if we can even say until we, you know, get to the draft and see what happens. Like Rousseau has some really good tape. You know, he only had one year of it, but you're talking about somebody who's six, seven, you know, 260 pounds, who's got 15 and a half sacks in the ACC. Like he's got some, he's got some accomplishments to, to work off of here. I, you know, I, I don't see how he falls out of the top 15 in, in any, in any case, we'll see how he tests. If he tests well, he might be right back up there. But I, I thought if he would have played, if you had a chance to see him and he was fresh in everybody's mind and he had another double digit sack year in that conference, then I think you would have said, okay, this kid would be a top five pick um, because you, you couldn't ignore it. So um, that maybe you could say that drops him down a little bit, but like a guy like Caleb Farley opted out. And I still think he's, he's, I'll say a lock, but if he runs like we expect him to run, I believe he'll be a top 10 pick. I think for the guys that, uh, you know, that opted out or that missed seasons, um, you know, with some of the guys at the lower level that they just didn't have a fall season. I think it maybe impacted them a little bit more. You know, there's a corner, Paulson Adebo from Stanford, who had kind of an up and down 2019, inconsistent, um, and then didn't get a chance to play this year. So that, that would have been an opportunity for him. I think he's probably a, you know, third, fourth round pick. Maybe he could have vaulted himself up with a big year this year. You know, Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, as a big offensive tackle, they didn't have a season. So he's raw. He needed, you know, he needed more reps, but really athletic. He, he got a chance to go to the senior bowl was a little bit uneven there. Uh, but man, that would have been nice for him to just have 13 games to go play uh, to get better. So to me, it almost impacted those guys more than it did some of these top tier guys. I mean, Jamar Chase is going to go in the top 10 and he didn't play a snap. Next question comes from Jeff Mosher. I wanted to ask you about, um, Process, not prospects. Uh, you yeah. work for three NFL teams. You know a lot of people in the industry, obviously. 
Um, GMs always talk about taking the best player on the board, having the board set uh, in advance. Do you find that it's harder, whether it's people you work for or, or heard stories heard for GMs to really truly stick to their board all the time in every round? And, and also, can you talk about the process that teams use for distinguishing you know, rankings, whether it's numerical letters and, and how when you get into those later rounds and you have different players at different positions that might all be in the same kind of talent cluster, how, how they're separated? Sure. No, that's a good question. Good to see you, Jeff. Um, look, to me, the biggest thing is you've got to have those decisions made beforehand. Like I, I, I never understood, you know, some teams when you're on the clock and you're trying to scramble around and you're like, oh, you know, what do you think? We've got this guy and we've got that guy it's in the first round. What do you, you know, what coaches like this guy, like when I was in Baltimore with, with Ozzie Newsom and, and Phil Savage and Eric DaCosta, they, they had the top 150. It was printed out on a piece of paper that they had, and it was literally paint by numbers. So the guy gets picked, cross him off the list. And you're, you're going to be picking it at 22. And we're going to take the highest guy that was on that list. The debate was over. All that discussion had taken place. There's no chaos. There's no drama. All that stuff has been hashed out and you know exactly what you're going to do. And that's why, um, you know, people always say, you know, is it best player available or do you go by need? It's a little bit of a mixture. And, and I'll just say that because um, you have your draft board that goes, you know, horizontally where you have all the positions listed. Well, I might have, you know, like it, the grading scale we had. So say I have a six, seven grade on Waddle <laughs> from Alabama, the receiver, where then I have a six, seven grade on Farley from Virginia Tech, the corner. So at that point in time, you know what? We at, we need a corner more than we need a receiver. We've got the same grade on <clears> the guy, so we're going to slot the corner above the receiver. Um, so that's how you kind of break some ties there, maybe more need-based. When you get yourself in trouble is when you have a linebacker that you've got, you know, a high grade on a 6'7", and you say, but we needed the, uh, you know, we needed a receiver. We needed a, you know, a tackle who's at a 6'3 level. Like, don't, don't leapfrog guys over their talent level. That's when you get in trouble. Real quick, though, why do you think some GMs, and we hear stories about it all the time, why do you think they have difficulty doing just what you said about sticking to that board and taking the, the best player available there? Well, I think sometimes you can get um, – you can have some blinders on a little bit and get a little bit narrowly focused in short term um, and think – you know, gosh, we've got a game in a few months and I don't know who's going to, you know, who's going to be our left guard. And this guy's right here. Let's, we, this guy fills that immediate problem right now. So then I don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, in fact, you've got other rounds in this draft. You've got other options, you know, through other avenues to try and get players and you're never going to be able to fill every single spot. So you, the last thing you want to do is make concessions and, and sacrifice great players for good players. Um, and then you end up with a team with no difference makers. So um, that, that is, is kind of the challenge, but I, I give teams, you know, credit that, that don't fall into that trap. I just go, again, I go back to the Baltimore time when I was there and Terrell Suggs was the rookie of the year. Didn't start a game. You know, we had, you know, we had really good edge rushers and he came in on third down. Um, they draft Todd heap when they already had sharp, uh, didn't, you know, it's just, you draft, uh, uh, Jamal Lewis when you, when you already had priest Holmes, I mean, on and on and on, you go through a million of those examples to take the best player. Eventually it all, it all sorts itself out. But at the end of the day, you don't want to have, uh, you know, left a bunch of great players out there for the rest of the league. So you could get somebody that could start at left guard. Next one comes from Eric Dilala with the Broncos. Yeah. Hey DJ. Uh, if Denver doesn't go corner 
at nine, what are some other, who are some other guys you think they could uh, select there or if they trade down a few spots? Yeah. I mean, look, they, the receiver group's loaded. So, you know, that wouldn't make as much sense, even though there'll be some really good options there uh, for them at that point in time. Um, You know, it'd be fun. It'd be fun to watch what Vic could do uh, with Micah Parsons out of Penn state, just because you can do so many different things and, and Vic could be creative with him. Um, you know, his ability to just, you know, really week to week, you could change his role and, and how you want to use him. And I think he's got a chance to be a really good rusher too. If you even just wanted to cut him loose and, uh, let him do some of that stuff. So, um, that would be one that would kind of be interesting there. Um, you know, I think everybody just kind of looks at the corner position and, and just looks like an obvious an obvious spot there where they're picking the talent that'll be there, um, that that makes an awful lot of sense. I mean, I think they need a defensive tackle, but I don't think there's anybody worth taking up that high. Next one comes from Dan Horde. Hey, DJ Dan Horde in Cincinnati. You are a bit of an outlier in ranking Slater over Sewell. Uh, but you do say that Sewell has the most upside of those guys. What is his ceiling and what is his floor? And if either of those guys is available at number five, should Cincinnati pounce? Yeah, I think either one of them would be great. Uh, would, would fit really well in there. And I, look, I, I have Slater over Sewell. I think he's more consistent. I, I think I know um, exactly where he is, but you mentioned it. Sewell's got more upside. He's just bigger. Um, he's a more powerful guy. Um, and when you look at kind of the makeup of the offensive line there in Cincinnati, I think you can make an argument for Sewell uh, ahead of Slater just just because of that. Um, in terms of his upside, no, I, I think he's got a chance to be a really, really good player. I, I've been around, you know, I've been spoiled. I've been around Jonathan Ogden. I've been around Joe Thomas. I've been around Jason Peters. I don't, I don't put him in that group. I don't think he's, you know, has a chance to get to that level, even though he's a really young kid. Um, but I think he's got a chance to, to grow into being a, both these guys, I think got a chance to be, you know, perennial pro bowl players, um, and Slater might end up having to kick inside. So that's a, that's a great debate to have inside the building. I just know when I put my list together and you kind of put the positives and the negatives down with Slater, I just don't, it's not much negative to put down on the paper. I just don't see anything, uh, that, that really concerns me. I think he's just going to be a really, really good player. Next one comes from Jim Wyatt with the Titans. Hey, Daniel, what, what is your – appreciate your time. But what is your best-case scenario first two rounds of the draft for the Titans who obviously need help on the edge and potentially a receiver and defensive line? And before you set me free, could you kind of give me your quick expectations for Darrington Evans in year yeah. two after not seeing him much since you're an App State guy? <laughs> yeah, we were both celebrating. App State's going to the basketball tourney. Uh yesterday now Darrington's explosive man I'm excited for him just to stay healthy and get an opportunity because I think he really compliments Derek Henry well um you know get him to the perimeter one cut and go you know big time juice so uh, I'm hopeful that uh, he gets a chance to stay healthy and have a good year for the Titans when, when you're looking at edge rushers um again I, I talked about it a little bit earlier you know Jim it's just a it's a it's an interesting group because there's some flaws with these guys um but uh you know, there's there's also a lot to like. To me, I'm higher on on him than than some others. I really like Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma, and uh, you know, I have him in in kind of the 30s on my list. But um, I would have no problem if he went you know late in the first round because he's he just plays his butt off, man. He's he can play with his hand down or he can stand him up. 
He's got speed to power. He's got some some ankle stiffness there, uh, but real violent hands. He plays with great leverage. He can hold the point of attack, which is 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 a big deal there, as you know. So you add to that when you talk to the folks at, at Oklahoma, they talk about he's a leader of the whole football team. He was the alpha of the alphas, uh, even as a freshman when he was there at Oklahoma. Uh, when they had Kenneth Murray, who was you know, lauded for his leadership. They said this kid uh, took on a leadership role when he was there when he was young. So um, he'd be one uh, right there. I mentioned Ojolari earlier from Georgia. I think both those guys give you some edge rush, and I think that's probably about where they factor in. Um, so those would be some interesting guys. And when you look at receivers, if you want to go in the second round and look at some wideouts, you know, let's assume that they lose Corey Davis. So if you wanted to find another big receiver that could kind of function in that role, I think you've got Terrace Marshall from LSU, who's uh, around that range. You've got Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Both those guys give you some of that size, uh, that ability to play above the rim, uh, down the field, and uh, and give you some run after catch as well. I think both those guys are really good players. Next question comes from Jeff Nowak with NOLA.com. Um, so in your latest mock, you uh, changed it up a bit, and you the Saints grabbing Mac Jones at number 28. Um, I was curious if you could elaborate a bit on the reasoning there. Is it because of Mac Jones, the player, anything he's provides specifically, or is it more just the Saints' current situation and grabbing the best quarterback available? And beyond that, if they didn't go quarterback in the first round, what's your read on what some potential targets might be? Yeah, that's that's a good question. You know, to me, I think Mac Jones, if you could cherry pick one spot for him, for him to be really successful, it would be New Orleans. I just think he fits in. We've seen this offense function like that with uh, quick decision making, um, accuracy um, being the, the hallmarks of, of what we've seen with Drew over the years and in, in those successful offenses. So um, that to me would be a great spot for him. Now, we'll see what they do in the offseason. They've got to decide, you know, what they want to do with the position, what the options they have in the veteran market, including Jameis. So um, th- that could determine which way they go. But just from a fit for, for a player and a team, I thought he fit there. So that's why I put him there. And if you look uh, for other options, maybe outside the first round, you know, I, I've kind of kind of mentioned to give you some different names, um, you know, kind of in the back. This would be more towards the back of the draft. Uh, but to me, like I would love to see a, a little bit of a, a connection there with somebody like Ian Book from Notre Dame uh, with Sean Payton, just because he's tough. He's he's uh, able to create. He can play you know, on schedule, a little off schedule. He's not a perfect player. That's why he's not you know, I'm not talking about him up in the top rounds, uh, but somebody later on that you've got a chance to develop and do some good things with who's kind of highly intelligent, highly competitive and fits kind of uh, what Sean Payton has always valued. That'd be somebody be kind of a day three target for me at the position. Next question comes from EJ Smith with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Hey, Daniel, you mentioned earlier how important GPS tracking is this season, just because, um, you know, there's there's less testing available. Have you seen teams that were maybe slow to come around to it in the past using it more? And um, also, what's it been like using that uh, more this year? Yeah, you know, I wish I had access to all of it. I can tell you that much. It would make my job a heck of a lot easier. Um, teams, you know, not every team has all the information. Some teams have it for some conferences and not others. Some teams don't have hardly any of it. Some teams have everything. So um, it's kind of like shrouded in uh, in mystery a little bit in terms of, of how they're able to access it. But, um, yeah, it's incredibly valuable and to the point where if you're talking about players and – I will have a conversation and say, well, I'll be, you know, I like this guy, but I'll be curious to see what he runs. 
and you get back, well, I don't care what he runs. I know he's in the 90th percentile of all running backs based off of his top five GPS numbers from the fall. And it's like, well, geez, that's a nice piece of information. That would, uh, that would really be helpful. Um, and I don't know that everybody has all of it. So I think teams are at different levels with it. I know one thing, if, if I was running a team, I'd move heaven and earth to try and make sure I had access to all of that information uh, because I don't think there's anything uh, more valuable than knowing in-game pads on, you know, legit uh, numbers that you can quantify. And as we go forward, and I've said this before, once we get to the point where we have five to 10 years worth of data that we can use for context, I think it becomes even more important. So um, it's definitely it's definitely here right now. Uh, we're behind soccer, um, definitely behind European soccer, um, but the, the NFL is, is trying to catch up as fast as possible. Next question comes from John Shipley. With uh, Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, he's a symbol of the front office and coaching staff that has a lot of people who was, you know, recently in the college ranks. Uh, how much do you think that can help with the evaluation process considering how different this year is? Yeah, you look, everybody always goes back to Jimmy Johnson and the success that he had in those drafts with the Dallas Cowboys because he knew those kids having recruited them and having coached a bunch of them and coached against a bunch of them. Um, it was a big value there. So I, I think that he's definitely going to know the kids for sure. Um, and I, I think that can be a help for, for that whole coaching staff. I would say the only thing that can uh, you just got to caution against is maybe what you remember, not, not allowing what you remember of a 17-year-old junior in high school to cloud what you saw of a 22-year-old junior in college. So um, that's where you just got to be careful that you don't stay attached to, uh, to what you saw of a kid. We, we see it all the time with, in free agency where teams will stay attached to their draft grades. And you're like, man, you just paid this guy a lot of money. As you know, and you you had big grades on him come out of college, but he hadn't been that player in the NFL. You you overpaid him, so that to me is the only challenge: is just not to be not to be married to some uh, preconceived thoughts you might have had on these guys as younger kids. Next one comes from Adam Kilgore with the Washington Post. You've talked a few times about this sort of irregularities of the last year and how it's affected uh, certain kids or prospects. Um, what's the kind of the class of player, kind of player? who's going to be hurt most by the process, you know, from the fall to now, um, you know, just, just what type of kid do you just feel kind of bad for uh, right now? You know, I, I touched on it a little bit, but to me, it's the, the kid that was the fringe late round priority free agent type player that would have gone to the East West shrine game. And we would have been down there. The whole NFL would have been there. And every year I always pull out, um, you know, probably 10 guys out of that game that, that I'm like, okay, man, I need to really go study this kid. I didn't know much about him before we got down here, but uh, he popped and we'll see some of those kids. Usually we'll see three to five of them get promoted to the senior bowl. And then we get to see them go up against even better players. And you see guys that kind of, uh, you know, come, come through, come through and, and really vault themselves up a couple rounds because you just didn't hit a chance to, to see them. So that to me is, is a great example. Like to me, look at a guy like Quinn Miners, the, the, the offensive lineman from Wisconsin Whitewater, who doesn't have a season this year. His tape is, you know, he's playing lower level competition, even though it's a great division three program, but his tape is, is okay. It's good. It's not great, but he spends this whole year. He goes and trains with Duke Mannyweather in, in Dallas and works like a madman, changes his whole body, um, Duke cleans up some stuff he was doing uh, technique wise and they they talked to Jim Nagy and convinced Jim Nagy to invite him to the senior bowl so he this kid probably was a 
you know, a fringe, like fifth, sixth round type pick. He, he gets the invitation to go to the senior bowl, completely dominates the whole week of practice. He's going to go on day two. Now I wouldn't be shocked if he went in the second round um, because he took advantage of that, that all-star opportunity uh, after missing the whole season. Well, there's other kids we would assume maybe not to that level, but guys who didn't get that invitation, guys who didn't get a chance to play in the, the other all-star games and, uh, and didn't get a chance to show what they've done for the last year. So those are the guys I feel bad for. And some of these NFL teams are going to, are going to invite guys in after, after the draft as, as rookie free agents, and they're going to find some hidden gems uh, throughout the league this year. I'd really believe that. Well, there you go. I still have my voice. Uh, good to know. Did not lose my voice. A lot of waters uh, were consumed during the, uh, during the conference call, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, I love talking about these players, love talking about these teams. And uh, as free agency is getting ready to crank up, all these needs are going to change. and It's just going to be a blast. So I uh, appreciate you guys hanging with us today. Uh, we've got all your needs covered here on Move the Sticks as we move forward. Remember, you can check that out, nfl.com slash MTS video for all the video content. And uh, we've got the TV show uh, as well on Thursday. So be on the lookout for that as well on the network. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks for hanging. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks presented by Castro Edge. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love online or in store pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever but if life changes you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new rent what you need it's better at errands approval not guaranteed restrictions apply see store for details career builder is made for people who have that thing you know those superpowers that make you good at your job the skills you bring to work and career builder knows those skills make you right for other jobs too Higher paying jobs with benefits. Jobs you never thought of trying. Are you a people person? Work from home as a customer service rep. Are you organized and like driving? Become a delivery driver. You have the skills it takes, and CareerBuilder.com has the jobs to get you hired fast. Visit CareerBuilder.com. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, 
out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there. Way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu.